So first question, what is my view on the bright, pure light which can come up in um, during meditation? When the mind is um, calm and steady and its energies become um, less distracted, so a lot of energies are used up in thinking and tangling. When that releases, then there's a lot more energy gathers together. This is the principle of samadhi. Through um, the release of obstructions, hindrances, through composure, the mind's energy unifies and energy can manifest. In, uh, we experience that often as a, as a subtle form of pleasure. That's an energy, there's a certain vibrancy. Um, you can experience it as lights, sometimes a certain luminosity occurs, or you can often experience it as a sort of silence, a uh, whispering silence. Um, so these are just ways in which the um, subtle sensory system, subtle nervous system is affected by the power of meditation. One thing is also to not just get too fascinated by these phenomena or attribute some sort of supernatural quality to them. They're just like you know, like traffic lights, traffic signs, you notice them, but you don't drive into the traffic sign. You say you see a sign like lights or something, it probably means you're on a good path, things are going well. But like, just as if you're driving along the road, you see a, a, a lantern that's illuminating the road, you don't drive into the lantern, you stay on the road. Great, but don't get stuck in it. So you can get over intense energies so energy is a, a valuable property, but we use it for clearing obstructions, not to become something that we get fascinated by. And if you do get fascinated by energy, you can find yourself getting unbalanced. So to notice what factors are present, you know, there's rapture, piti, calm, steadiness, and really that's, that's your road. That's your road. The spiritual faculties are your road. Uh, the lights are just the side effects of the road. How does one deal with trauma from a karmic standpoint? Karmic standpoint. Um, I don't know what the karmic standpoint is. Um, People experience various severe disruptions. The chitta's ability to release severe disruptions is um, has limitations. So um, normally, when we feel a shock, there's a shock state, and everything's agitated, stirred up, and then there can be some sort of 
release, which is often sort of quite emotional. You might weep or shake around or your energy is released, then the discharge, end of that one. Now, if that doesn't occur, if that is not released for one reason or another, perhaps um, it's frozen or one is not, feels too frightened to release it, then you get this effect, you get lodged. And this is a... Um, this is trauma. So these traumas are like little uh, powerful whirlpools, small whirlpools in the nervous system. So if you go anywhere near one, you get sucked into it and it spins you around. Um, so this is kind of what happens to people. And the simple message, at least from a meditation point of view, is this is kind of like to become manifest any of this can become manifest as you enter into the energetic system of the body or in fact the energetic system of the mind and, you know and so we feel a certain I think most people sitting there and they find themselves getting obsessed with something or other that's that's a whirlpool it's a karmic whirlpool regrets agitations fears anger passion suddenly sucked into something which weren't wasn't so apparent in daily life when the sense fields were giving you much more you were much more attentive to the sense fields sight sound organization behavior what to do when you switch that off you enter into karmic fields the mind drops the karmic fields so these unresolved karmic whirlpools currents and tides become more apparent um, and they can have some somatic effect. Very severe ones are called trauma. Uh, and these are then have a very powerful pull to them, so you don't want to go into them. <laughs> you know, and so you look out for the getting pulled. You can't reason with them. You have to maintain bodily presence and stay out of them. So just as if one is standing in the ocean and you feel a riptide, you don't go into the riptide, you stand back and find a piece of territory you can stand firmly on when the riptide passes by. And over time, just standing, metaphorically sitting, being present near or in the vicinity of these vortexes, whirlpools, um, does weaken them, does weaken the pull. But overall, the fundamental message is to maintain awareness of the entire body because the whirlpool is always local. That's their nature. They may be arise in a place in your head or your chest. This is the usefulness of experiencing it in your body because in terms of your mind, you don't know where it is. It just suddenly, woof. But in terms of your body, you can feel, oh, I'm feeling really quite a lot of pressure coming into my face. Well, that's uh, then okay. It's, I mean, not okay, it's not fun, but there it is. So why don't I just feel what's happening in my feet instead? You know, my back, uh, my hands, so you pull out. Mm -hmm. And when you feel very strong, you can gradually approach the difficult area 
rather like two rivers. If you have a major river, major current, and you have a minor river flowing into it, the major river will capture the current of the minor river. So similarly, the energy of the whole body will tend to gradually capture the energy of the traumatic experience and release it into its flow. This is by no means um, as quick or as easy as I've said it. <laughs> That's the process, but it can take um, uh, many months or repeated occasions to find a place with that, because these are quite often, you don't just have one trauma, you have nestle two or three, you know, there's a lot of sort of, um, you know, covering over it to try to deal with it you know so just imagine we've got a, a wound and you have a lot of tissue has grown over that wound sometimes you have to open the tissue up to get into the where the abscess is mm -hmm. but we don't operate surgically we're operating with loving kindness so just where you feel reactive compulsive uh, strange reflexes you know where you're not really doing it it just happens that's a sign you've got a little whirlpool under there somewhere that's pulling associated with your personality function, your karmic history um, but the person can't deal with it they're the result of that so we have to find a strength that is not personal strength, not willpower strength not intellectual strength but embodied dharma strength and building that up um, is certainly, you know, you have to keep building that up over time to have the adequate resources to be able to meet these difficult experiences um, gently, a little at a time, and uh, in a very open way. And sort of gradually energy will begin to move out, settle. Question, lots of back pain in the middle of the night, hard to practice when half asleep. Should I get up and practice metta? Sounds like a good idea. Maybe some exercise, some stretching or walking might help. Um, I wouldn't be too fixated on having the sort of the, whatever it is, the six, seven, eight hours solid sleep this is a notion introduced along with you know work uh, uh, it's probably better to have two or three short naps in a day so don't worry about losing your sleep you know, kind of lightly address what needs to be addressed question is if there's no self in buddhism who is supposed to be putting effort into the right four right efforts um, citta heart mm. Mm. is what what does that mm. Mm. so you've probably got a language problem there mm. in buddhism we call self uh, is the is an acquired um, set of programs to do with ownership, control, social organization, holding everything together. 
So it's a particular program that Jitta adopts. It starts off with, well, doesn't you know? There's a tendency. Let's say how we got born, and it, you know, and the fundamental tendency is to be in an individual, to take birth as an individual entity, a separate entity. Now this is not possible because every entity is connected to the atmosphere uh, physically and the world around them. Um, they inherit the effects and the good and bad effects of other people. We are not independent entities. We're actually not selves. We're chittas. And chittas are permeable. And they exist within the realm of cause and effect. You know, they've got this latent tendency to become a person, an individual, separate individual. So therefore it gets born into a sense body where you've got a definite outline to it. <laughs> so it seems like a solid separate thing. And then based upon that, all kinds of psychologies and attitudes come up. I'm here, this is me, that's mine, that's not mine, I'm this, you're that, comparison. I'm not as good as you are, I'm better than he is, I'm a man, I'm a woman, uh, I'm this age and so forth, all this stuff. Um, and, you know, and I, I want to do this, and I don't want to do that, so individual choices, and this is um, based upon, you know, self-interest, what's good for me. And we have to work from that, because we do recognise that actually that's that's the program, but it doesn't arrive at fulfilment. We're always trying to find out what's best for me, but it, we're not really getting some good results, but also it's constantly effort to try and get that self happy. And it, it only happy for a little while before it has to deal with something else or meets another problem. Because being an individual, you have to meet other individuals who think they're separate too. So you've got a whole planet full of beings who assume they're separate. Well, that's going to be like billiard balls clashing around on a, on a, on a deck of a ship. <laughs> Just crashing into each other. Uh, and not realising actually, you know, we're all part, we're, there's a sort of interconnection there. Uh, and the interconnection is called cause and effect. That is, we affect each other. And our heart feels better when it opens up and is not so self-interested, but mutually. How are you? How am I? How is it going to work together? Let's, we feel love, we feel generosity, we feel happiness. And we set a sense of morality to others as to myself. Now, this is using the same language. But we're coming out of that sense of being an individual entity. And therefore, what this being does is no longer so self-interested, but more, more attuned to where is virtue, where is kindness, where is gratitude, where is generosity, where is clarity. I'll do, do that. This is jitta, then, is aligning itself to values rather than to historical person. There's nothing, you know, my virtue is not, something about me as a person is just same as yours you know you can't don't have a individual take on non-violence non-violence is something we can all do 
And these, these are then chitta qualities, heart qualities. Uh, and so this is the then that that focus, that center of intention and attitude then acts as the guide. And sometimes it means that that uh, it says, well, you know, you have to let go of something, you know, not just have it your way, because for the general welfare of others, it's better that you let go of that. Okay. <laughs> because this is going to die. Uh, and uh, so you think it's happier to live in harmony than to live selfishly. Self is a series of programs that, that the jitter gets um, organized into as it gradually releases those. Uh, then we come to a truer centre than that of the isolated individual personal self. So someone asking, uh, I gave an invitation with the intention of goodwill. When it was turned down, I felt the sourness at the heart. Any advice on this? Mm. Yeah, well, you can't... Uh, overestimate the value of equanimity mm. so it may be that when you you offer goodwill the other person is interested but still you offer goodwill mm. so um, if it's an offer then it's free mm. that person doesn't have to receive it it's free so don't get involved with other people's responses and reactions. Yeah. So if your intention is follow your intention, it's goodwill. Other person sees it differently. Perhaps they didn't want, felt you were intruding on them. Well, I don't know. So take note. You know, realize with other people, you are touching into another karmic configuration, another another set of people's karma and while that karma has different qualities to it what I enjoy you may not enjoy what I find interesting may not interest her what I find myself inspired by he doesn't find himself inspired by what I find humorous he doesn't think is funny at all yeah what I think is normal she thinks is very strange so, you know, you've got to be really respectful, even when your intentions are good. You can, I mean, I've certainly offended people with good intentions by not having enough restraint to see if they actually, how it feels for them. Maybe they feel I'm barging in. Um, so it's always, excuse me, is this, may I? And say, no, thank you, fine. When feelings come up from hearing a word or when reading, that is the heart is touched, is it right to just stay with the feelings as feelings until it fades away? Well, here we have feelings here, I imagine is sankara. Feeling is the quality of pleasure or pain and that's mixed up with emotion. And emotion is, is a is sankara 
it's got a certain volitional um, um, energy to it. So if you pause on that, that you know, add to it, the energy will will tend to fade away. Now, as you subsequently ask, is it necessary to reflect or inquire as to what that experience was about? I don't know if it's necessary, it could be useful. Like, why am I so affected by that? What's happening? Hmm. Maybe it's just there. No. I am affected by that. Uh, you, you notice something about your own karmic sensitivities. Um, one is sensitive in this respect. Um, why is that useful? You know what you're working with. You know who you are. You know your jitter, where your jitter is sensitive. Mm. Not just what you should be, but what, you're, what the jitter is affected by, what the heart is affected by. Are you actually reading it? And the only way you can kind of work with your karmic sensitivities is to be aware of them and uh, let them speak, let them arise and pass. And the jitta, it learns by itself. You don't have to do anything about it. The jitta will feel what it feels. Things move, things shift and change. Jitta gets wiser through that process of knowing how it's affected. Trying to be not affected by things <laughs> is, is kind of a numbing. So we do get affected, but we don't have to be reacting to that and feel affected and just stay with that. Jitta will learn something by itself. Suddenly feel a lot of pain I didn't know existed in my body. They're not severe. Oh, so I suddenly felt like crying, feeling there's some weight on my chest. I do have a closed body with curled round shoulders, lots of mental pains. Any further instructions? Like some more guidance? Make a special video. Well, I've touched on this topic many times, actually. Um, so, yeah. When you experience these pains in the body, some are just because of the physicality of the body, some is this, um, you know, because of what I call somatic experience. Somatic experience means the inner sensitivity of the body, and it's associated with one's emotions very much affect that. So, characteristically, uh, Lots of emotions land and affect the body, and we don't always clear them. So they remain stuck there. And in fact, they can begin to pull your body into twisted shapes. And so all this is happening purely reflexively without your mind knowing anything about it. It's just what it does. And so that's why we're establishing these standing, sitting, walking positions and gently sweeping through the body, easing it, and practicing loving-kindness, metta, and allowing the body to open up 
and release some of its its uh, tangles uh, in its own way, and you can't rush it. It's not self. It means you, as a person, can't say stop this, do that. What you can do, as a on a personal level, is establish the four establishments of mindfulness, the, the four right efforts, the five spiritual faculties, you know, and then they, then you just let them do the work. Uh, and it may take time. You don't exactly know how they're going to do it. Yeah. It's like you go to a doctor, you say, fix this. You may think, mm, okay, well, take one of these, come back in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Come back in two weeks. Okay, I'll massage this bit, come back in three months. You know, we'll do this for a year or so, take a diet, and this will, you know, you don't know how long it's going to take. But if you trust the doctor, and uh, you see the doctor is well and healthy, and you trust their approach, then you, you practice it, you go with it. This is the Eightfold Path, and the Buddha is the doctor. Mm. You know, it seems all very personal, but it's just this is karma, karmic effects. There are occasions when defilements are gross, anxiety and anger. The mind goes to the felt sensation and watches it subside. There is no investigation to the cause of these defilements. Later upon gaining some stability, when the mind is still, I notice subtle inclinations of the mind and investigation occurs. Should I be aware at the gross level and avoid what may be the habit of focusing away the disease or allow the mind to do what it does anyway? Sounds like the mind is doing what it should do. Mm. Yeah, that is, um, I suppose, the sense of when the mind or the heart can allow things to, uh, is watching in the right place and the phenomena subsides after a while. Uh, one in a way has some degree of, jitta has some degree of mastery over those phenomena, so they're no longer reacting to it. Then it's like, okay, now we can now we'll look into it, look into the causes. Also, when do these phenomena not arise? What's present? What's present when they arise? Or what's absent when they arise? Absence of calm, perhaps. Absence of the entire body. Absence of um, mindfulness. Mm. So, then, you, okay. Then you begin to know. Oh, that's that feeling. That sort of blurry, here I go. That sort of speedy feeling. This is dangerous. This is when the hindrances come in. And that's how you learn. You know, often we're acting in ways that don't seem problematic. We're just running on automatic. Yeah, we do this and do that. And with believing in ourselves, believing in our person, running on automatic. I think, yeah, I'm fine. And suddenly feeling very, make a mistake. Get bossy or irritable. And where did that come from? It came from running on automatic. Yeah, you know, uh, but you didn't notice running on automatic because it feels normal. But running on automatic is the flood. 
and sometimes the flood itself doesn't feel problematic until you find as a rock comes in, in that, along in that flood, which is what it brings up sooner or later. It starts off as easy and casual and normal and natural, and then you find yourself hitting some difficult stuff. But it arose out of, out of the flood of the person. Now, not, you don't have to be anonymous. It's a matter of establishing mindfulness over actions, uh, what occurs to you, how you're affected, and your responses. So it's very intimate, but we're clear. We have clarity rather than just not noticing and running on automatic. Then you'll find that these uh, problems will not arise, uh, or if they do arise, you'll notice, ah, oh, that's where I lost it. Mm -hmm. You know, got a bit lazy or a bit careless, and then this stuff happens. Question, being in a place of presence feels stable. Transitioning back into the karmic realm is a challenge. I fall back too quickly into the swirl and mindfulness spills too readily away. Is there a pathway that can steady that return? I'm talking of walking out of the stilled retreat space and into the daily life. Mm. Well, you know, this is kind of the big question, isn't it? Um, which... Uh, so that's why you, you should practice um, moving in and out of the karmic realm gently and by degrees, repeatedly. So every time you you know you finish a meditation session then just coming out slowly a little bit at a time. So you get used to the transition and you start to get the chitta to learn before you start doing stuff. You know, body where are you? And then notice the sense consciousness, eyes, seeing. Don't go into the mind immediately. Give yourself 20 seconds before you open the mind door, before you open the door of what to do and what happens next. Can you do that? Can you allow yourself 20 seconds before you start organising what to do next. So don't go into the mind, don't open the mind door, don't fling it open and don't come out like, you know, running off the starting blocks. Now uh, you practice this every meditation session You've got to get that habit, that process, pretty much ingrained. You learn it. And if you learn it, it may be that you don't need the 20 seconds. 20 seconds is not that long, and you can save you a lot of stress. In daily life, maybe 10 seconds. You know, and do it repeatedly throughout the day, just pausing, and where am I? 
So the main thing to watch for before the thinking gets going is this leaning, an inclination into about to or what next. Hmm? That inclination, what I better get on with the next thing. Better get on with the next thing. And so be careful of that. Don't naturally there will be a next thing, it's gonna happen. It's not like we're living in a frozen void. Something's gonna arise. Prepare you. How you open. First you open with by establishing yourself in your body. Shift from obligation to act. Move away, let go of obligation and pick up responsiveness. I'm not compelled to act, but I wish to act. Yeah. When you act in the karmic domain, remember this, you're not the only one there. You're entering into the shared karmic domain. It means how is any, anything else? You know, how's the other people? You know, so we kind of move in with a sense of circumspect. Don't rush in. Yeah, uh, and um, restraint, of course. So sounds tough, sounds difficult, but eventually it becomes more established. But it is difficult because nobody else is doing it. <laughs> so they're all rushing and charging and shooting around like cannonballs. Um, and you need to, in a way, give a signal like, oh, thanks very much. Could you just give me a moment on that? Um, yeah, I like to, I really, yeah, I like, I see what you're saying. I, I've, yeah, I want to get around to that. Just give me a moment. You know? So instead of this kind of ricochet, jumping backwards and forwards, you know, you want to be able to put some some gears on the way you interact with others and asking them, could you give a moment to think about that? Oh, that's really important. I hear what you're saying, so I'd like to give it some time to turn that over. You know, it means respect, but you're just slowing down the speed of it all. Okay. Lots of questions. Jitter and manas. Difference between jitter and manas. Jitter is the effective heart, emotional. Manas is the organizing, thinking mind. Jitter deals with direct felt experience. Feeling moved, feeling touched, feeling inspired, feeling angry, feeling happy, interested, uh, really eager, not interested at all, responsive. Fed up. Oh, that's jitta. Clarity, wisdom. It's this. This is jitta. Manas is is the organizer of plans. Ah, oh, in Tuesday morning I'm going to do this. That's a manas experience because there's no such thing as a Tuesday morning. I don't see them anywhere. Where are they? Jitta is always direct here and now. Manas is conceiving abstractions for the purposes of um, functioning. Yeah. Now in practice, you can use them by bringing up a manas thing like be mindful. That's a manas says that. Yeah, because where's a, where's a mindful? I don't see any mindfuls, but it's a reminder. So you can it means the chitta. Oh right, that. 
You know, so you can use your abstract knowledge to encourage, remind, touch, jitta. You know, just just take a break. You know, just to be take a break. That's a manas instruction. There's no such thing as a break. I don't see any breaks. But it means the jitta. Oh, that jitta understands that. And oh, relax. So these are, they work together. Okay, another question. Compulsory tendency in cleanness with myself, especially so during this time, virus bacteria. If I break a precept, I also feel there's a dent or stain in my jitter that I have to clean them. When something cannot be cleaned yet, there's the stress. Now this is a psychological thing, the urge for clean and pure. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and as we know, there's a lot of dirt around. So, conditioned realm, it's not cleanliness. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's kindness. Mm kindness towards the conditioned realm, acceptance of it being how it is. Nature, is it clean or dirty? Trees, are they clean or dirty? Earth, is the earth dirty or clean? It's earth. Trees are trees. They're not clean or dirty. They're doesn't That doesn't fit. They're what they are. Yeah. Now, human city dweller earth on the kitchen floor is dirt for a farmer earth is money <laughs> for a worm earth is life which is true i think earth really belongs to worms yeah. you may think worms are dirty but worms are just worming uh, so once we find ourselves taking up these attitudes it's going to be conflict and uh, you know, and realizing that things can never get that clean. Clean is a, is helpful for health. Absolutely, you know, as human beings, we like that. But in broader perspective, what's more useful is goodwill, compassion, and understanding. Mm. So, you know, what's a compassionate way to treat a body? Maybe keep it clean but keeping it clean from a place of compassion and kindness so it remains healthy. Mm. Um, then you transfer it to the mental states. If you've you know, broken a precept, then, yeah, the chitta feels dented, and that's true. Uh, and then because of that dent or that stain, if you like, and this is the language that's used, you need to return to that with a mind of goodwill. Let the goodwill uh, and wisdom clean the defilement. Mm. So it's, that was wrong. It gives rise to this effect. It, it gives rise to stress and suffering. Um, refrain from such action in the future. And the stain that's left, breathing in, breathing out, Accepting the presence of that, relaxing, brightening, putting bright energy through that place, 
putting loving bright energy through that place in your heart calming, equanimous you're making a determined attempt to not act in such a way again Ah, then you become wiser and also you can accept the defilements of others you don't like them but you realize what they are Mm. I just want to address one one more I struggle with breath meditations despite many years of practice at best I can be aware of the whole body and feel the ease of the out breath but often I get tangled in the breath and feel like I'm controlling it and it becomes stressful yes I can relate to that Mm. you know I refer to breathing in and out regularly but within the context of, of something wider which is the cultivation of embodied awareness the cultivation of goodwill uh, because these will help the breath rhythm and the mental attitude to be more harmonious so the breathing gets taken over it's um, it's connected to the nervous system so our nervous imbalances affect the breathing uh, and one of these is um, control control because of anxiety we're in a world where there's a lot of anxiety this affects the breathing we're in a situation with depression that affects the breathing we're in a situation where there's pressure urgency that affects the breathing um, so you know I mean psychologically you can't breathe in because breathing in is expansive and we're in a situation where on some subtle level we feel sort of compressed and holding ourselves together so I don't go to the breathing um, at the start um, the body re- responds to signals somatic signals so if the signaling you've got to keep signaling to the body you know as a reminder check out do you feel safe do you feel open if you don't feel open and safe you can't push it you've got to check out this place in my chest can I, that can feel open anything holding me back space around is benevolent so just keep working on establishing the body very fully in a comfortable safe space so you're cleaning out these signals that we inherit or the body inherits in the karmic and social domain which is pressure control compulsion and so this where we don't realize it in our thinking mind but that affects the body on a reflexive level everybody's jumping around you know and so he picks up that gets in the startled effect uh, on a kind of subliminal level so you've got to get out of that startled effect into something expansive strolling on a beach sitting in a root of a tree was the image the Buddha used plenty of space protected nice firm natural shading thing given a given 
rather than something I do. And doing is one of these very triggery places in meditation. Yeah, because, yeah, we do things, but also there's a not doing. And this is what I call the gift. We enter the practice with a sense of what is the gift. You don't have to do it. And the gift, in very simple bodily terms, is there's ground beneath you, given. You don't have to be good, clean, tidy, just, moral, anything. It's a rest upon that sense of that. Space around you is given. You're welcome, whether you're stupid, ugly, brutal, you've still got space around you. Now, if you are deliberately stupid and brutal, you'll probably find you your mind doesn't open to the space because it's so tight in itself. So this encouragement is to come out of that any kind of controlling attitude and compulsive attitude because you're fine. No pressure. No pressure. There's no pressure to meditate. There's no obligation to meditate. Meditation is a voluntary activity. So getting to that you know, which is not derived, personally constructed, and let your body sit in that and feel it, you know, the whole body, spine, chest, the abdomen, skin, the arms, the throat, the face, all just in that. And as it gets more settled, you might notice... Am I breathing? Is it breathing or not? Is it not breathing? No, it's it's breathing. How is that? Just a subtle flow. So receptive to breath rather than pounce on the breath and focus on it and count the numbers. I'm much too proactive. Your attention then is gripping and you might get the sense of having to do it and these all, these energies, these emotions, have an effect on the body's field. So how you meditate. If you're meditating from the way one's normal mind is often got a lot of got to get this done. Be good at it. Hold it carefully. If it's important, get focused on it. Uh, this is the worldly conditioning. And so you've got to, re, got to reset how you use attention. So it's a soft, receptive. Am I breathing or not? Yeah. Just be with that. However it is. Don't go into details. Keep the whole body and then feel the breathing as it is. And get to enjoy it. Give it time and it will find its own own pattern. Its own pattern. Um, most important thing is breathing is not just a physical thing. We're looking at breath in a very holistic way. So, you know, it's the mind, mental state is also got that light, flowing quality to it. The body state is open and light, flowing. Breath's going to be light and flowing. If your mind is too intense, your breath's going to be intense. Your body's tight, breath's going to be tight. It's a holistic experience.
That's why it's it's a great teacher because if your breathing's going strange, it means uh oh something about attitudes, aiming for results, trying to get this right. Sounds good, but look what it's doing. Do you need to do that? To breathe, you don't need to get it right. How is it? Now you learn, learn in this way. Someone mentioned being in touch with a little child within. When I say no to people, I see as authority figures, even my grown son. I come in touch with huge confusion and being lost in distress. Yeah, as I said, you know, the person arises. Um, and then you, you experience the person becomes a frightened little child. Uh, so... That final child has to be sensed with a mind of goodwill. And then what triggered it seems like something felt overwhelming, authority, authority figures. So it's the sign, the signal of bigger than me, power over me, can control me. That's the signal. If any of us gets those signals, bigger than me, control me, take over me, we're going to get either small or we're going to get starting angry, depending on karma. And so check the signal out. Signal is not the person. The signal is, the, is our mental interpretation of that person. And admittedly, you know, Human beings are good at giving those signals. You know, I stand tall, I wear my uniform, I speak in this voice, of, excuse me, man, but this is... And there, there it is. But still, in one way, it's just some person, human being, with flesh and blood and whatever. So you just check. Once you know the signal, check the signal. And that's just the signal. Can you allow it to rise and pass? and not get reactive to it, then the person doesn't have to get born. The little child doesn't have to get born. You don't have to be a person created by the world around you. You can be autonomous. That's practice. So I'll pause there for today. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for responding. Take care.